word as the um, kids head of the classes. We're going to be in Genesis again, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, those of you who are here uh, last week, we kind of did our first part uh, of the doctrine of, of man. Uh, we, we looked at the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And tonight, we're going to look at one aspect of what does it mean to be made in the image of God as we think about it. what does it mean to, to exercise dominion, looking at the cultural mandate of Genesis chapter 1. And then once we know what it is, why is it important for us uh, today? So well, let me pray, and then we'll dive into the word of the Lord. Uh, great God, we do thank you that you are the one who has given us promises in your word. We have already sung of your promises, Lord. Uh, we have believed those promises, even as we sung them, Lord, that you are the one who, is, um, who has called us to yourself and will keep us by your grace. Father, as we think about our roles in this world, we pray, God, that you would give us wisdom um, individually and corporately as a body and how we apply these words in these concepts to our own lives and church family. Father, we just pray that you would make much of yourself during this moment. We pray that you would guard me behind um, the cross, that I would decrease and that you would increase, and that as I proclaim Christ through your word, that you would preach to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that nothing would, be, um, would fall on deaf ears, that everything that is said that needs to be heard uh, by the saints of God here at Park would, 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 would be heard and obeyed. So, God, we pray that you would do a work now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, we ask ourselves, why are we studying the doctrine of man? I mentioned this last week, but I'll just say it again. I believe the doctrine of man is probably the most important uh, doctrine uh, for our, our day. Now, we could say the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of God and the doctrine of, of the Holy Spirit. All are important. Because of the, the world that we live in and because of the, the, the particular threats that are being pushed on against the church and the, the cultural movement that's being, that's being pressed in from the, the, the spirit of the air, the, the cultural pressure, I think the doctrine of man is extremely important. Last week we talked about what does it mean to be made in the image of God. Uh, we, we are made in God's image to reflect his image to the world, to, to represent and rule in his place. Some of that will, will mean our, our, our ability to reason, which is different than any other animals on, on the earth, our ability to have emotions, which is different than any other animals on the earth, um, our, our ability to, to create and to, to, to think and develop, which is different than any other animals on, on the earth. Um, so tonight we're going to look at one aspect. Um, it's commonly known as the the, the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. Uh, typically what we do here at Parker, we kind of walk through a verse of Scripture, and this is going to be more lecture than sermon. So I pray that you would still be edified by it. Uh, so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin again in verse um, 26. We'll start there. Really our focus text will be verse 28 and following. So this is the sixth day of creation, and then it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, an allusion to the Trinity, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God had created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here's our key text tonight. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. This is where we get the cultural mandate. It's right there in verse 28. And God blessed them. We don't want to miss that. This is the blessing, the the opportunity to exercise dominion or rule or reign over the earth is a blessing from God. And God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So right there is the cultural mandate. We'll define that terms here in a second. So this is the beginning of the world. This is the creation or the cultural mandate. Uh, in chapter 1, in chapter 3, we see the fall of man. man. Adam and Eve fell into sin, disobeyed God's good word, brought sin into the world, brought death into the world. We, we fast forward to chapter 6, and, and God saw that there was wickedness among every, uh, in all of man. Uh, everything in their heart was inclined towards evil, so God sent the flood, saving eight people. And then he said these words to, to Noah in chapter 9. So just turn over in your Bibles to, to Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We see something very similar, a, a cultural mandate revisited after the fall. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. For every, from every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require, require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds, sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So we see these two things. We see this creation mandate in Genesis chapter 1. We see this reaffirmation of the creation mandate in Genesis chapter 9. So they're, 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 they're pre-fall and post-fall, which means that we are living in post-fall, that the cultural mandate is still effective for us. So really what's happening here in the, in the, in the creation mandate is that God is making man priest kings of the garden. The garden is like a temple sanctuary. We see this similar language in the tabernacle and as we move on to Leviticus and Numbers and on to the, the, the conversation of, of the temple, they were put in the garden to work and to keep it. So you have God who's the, who's the king and he has vice kings or, or priest kings who are put in the garden to keep it. So part of our role as human beings is to be priest kings that rule and represent God to the world. This is a, a, a part of the image of God. And, and some scholars would say this is actually the fundamental root of being made in the image of God. It says we were made in the image of God 
to function like God in the world, to exercise dominion and rule over the world. It was common in, in, in the ancient world that kings uh, would, would create statues to reflect themselves or their authority over a particular area. Uh, so during, in front of his castle or his, his temple, there would be a, an image of himself. And what the Lord did, the Lord did not make just one image. The Lord made a billion images that reflect his authority, and his authority is over the entire earth. There's a few quotes in terms of how, how we define this creation, or this idea of, of being a priest king. Uh, Joel Beakey says this, Therefore, the divine image in man is closely related to man's status as God's servant king on earth. In the ancient world, kings often set up sculpted images of themselves to represent their authority. God set up living images to represent his authority on the earth. Now remember, it's hard for us sometimes because we live in 21st century America and we don't often understand the mind of the ancient world. So in the first century, not first century, when, when the, the Jews would have heard this, they were probably would have been in the wilderness when Moses wrote uh, the Torah. And when they were hearing this for the first time, they would have understood what was going on with ancient kings. For us, we have to kind of transplant ourselves back there. This idea was kind of woven throughout early church history. John Chrysostom said this, that the meaning in our image is, is to be discovered not in the order of being, but a similarity of command. It's what we are doing that represents one aspect of the image of God. And one more quote um, uh, by someone who I don't have written down, but I'm sure he's fine. Uh, man is created not in God's image, since God has no image of his own. For as God's image, or rather to be God's image, that is to deputize in the created world for the transcendent God who remains outside the world order. The whole man is the image of God, without distinction of spirit and body. The image is to be understood not so much ontologically as existentially. It comes to the expression not in the nature of man so much as in the activity and function. This function is to represent God's lordship to the lower orders of creation. So there's something in how God has made us, how God has wired us, that is called to exercise dominion or rule over this earth to act and represent him to the world. Okay? So... Hold your place in Genesis chapter 1, and let's turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. These two texts will probably be parallel texts when we think about the cultural and creation uh, mandate. So I'll read the whole psalm, but really just focusing on the last half. So Psalm 8, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Now notice this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the work of your hands you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along 
the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a reference to the creation order that God has given man dominion over the earth. And we read in Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, this is referring to Christ. Christ is the one that has been given authority and, and dominion. So Christ is the, is the picture or the fullness of the image of, of God. Well, let me define our terms of what cultural mandate is. I'll give you several of them. Uh, the cultural mandate, by definition, is, is the command to exercise dominion over the earth, subdue it, and develop its Latin potential. God calls all humans, as those made in his image, to fill the earth with his glory through creating what we commonly call culture. So there's a couple things in this creation mandate. Part of that is we are called to be fruitful and multiply, Part of that is, cre- is procreation, is to, is to have children and to have children uh, uh, fill our homes and, and to flourish. But it's also to create and manipulate culture. Uh, one uh, definition, the creation mandate, is the ongoing charge to humanity in the power and the blessing of God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and gently subdue and cultivate the earth. I really like how Nancy Piercy has said this. Nancy Piercy wrote Total Truth, and she said it this way. The first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, and compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us Our original purpose was to create cultures, build civilizations, nothing less. The lesson of the cultural mandate is that our sense of fulfillment depends on engaging in creative and constructive work. The ideal human existence is not eternally leisure or endless vacation, or even a monastic retreat into prayer meditation, but creative effort expanded for the glory of God and the benefit of others. So why are we focusing on on the cultural mandate? Well, let me give you four reasons why I think this is important for us today. Why is the cultural mandate important to us? Number one is that we have purpose in the world, that we have purpose in the world. The cultural mandate connects you to your nine-to-five job. What we do here as the gathering of the saints and, and deal with spiritual matters, and this is not more important than your work in the world. You are going in the world week in and week out, and you are called to exercise dominion or subdue things in this world. Whether that is you are working in in your yard and you are exercising dominion or oversight over your your yard, or you're doing that in trying to keep people safe. Whatever your, your particular vocation is, you have a purpose in it. And your purpose in that particular field is to exercise dominion or rule to reflect and represent God to the world. I think that would change how we live day in and day out in our jobs. So many times, people are just working for the weekends, right? That's a song that was, came out a long time ago. Robert Baker, you feel me, right? But we want to we go to work with this passion and this desire is that my work has value, my work has purpose, is that when I'm exercising a a, a data code for a website, I'm actually helping to fulfill the cultural mandate by exercising dominion on the earth, right? This is not something that is small. 
Those of you who, are, who, who, who bake food, you're, you're taking the ingredients and you're, you're creating, you're making something special and you're blessing people with all these flavors and textures, right? God has given us this ability. We are made in his image. Every time we do these things, every time we clean our homes, what we're doing is we are fulfilling the cultural mandate. And hopefully we see that as, as giving us purpose and value in our day-to-day, in our nine-to-five. So number one, we have purpose in the world. Number two, we are threatened by our culture. We are threatened by our culture. What I mean is this, is that what our culture is breeding more and more is comfort, ease, and laziness. We live in a culture that, that encourages passivity, right? So what, what do we typically do if we have, you know, we're sitting in line at the bank we don't go, even use banks anymore, but let's just grocery store, right? You pull out your phone and you start doing what? You just start scrolling. What you're doing is you're passively receiving things. And the things that you're receiving are probably not edifying to the soul, right? Next time you have an extra minute, keep your phone in your pocket and just look around. Smile at someone and pray. Um, But here's the thing, what happens in our culture, it it breeds this passivity. It breeds a lack of creativity, a lack of of creating culture. We forget who we are created to be. We are created to be those who help fulfill the cultural mandate. We need to fight against that. Number four, we are called to be witnesses to the world. So this is kind of like a, a sub point, maybe even a point one number one of our purpose is that we are called to be lights to the world. So when we do our jobs, we are not just called to do our jobs, we're called to do our jobs in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to do our jobs with all our heart, with all our, with all our, with all our energy so that Christ would be pleased, right? We're not trying to please our, 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 our bosses and our managers, we're trying to please Christ with our labors. And if you're trying to please Christ, people will look at you and say, why are you doing things that way? Why do you go the extra mile? Why are you so honest in your work? Why are you so joyful when doing a menial task? Is because I know Christ. I know Christ. I'm trying to be a light to the world so that people would see my good deeds and say, why? Look at Christ. I want you to praise him. We see this all throughout the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, um, be a light to the world. Uh, Second Peter, or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, right? We want to live uh, holy lives of strangers and exiles in this land so that people would praise God on the day of visitation. So, you know, when you go to work, your work is important. Your work is valuable. And how you work reflects your creator. That's built into our very nature of who we are created in God's image. And lastly, number four, I think understanding the cultural mandate helps us clarify our mission, helps us clarify our mission. So the waters that I swim in week in and week out is writing and reading God's word and what's happening and being said in the Christian world. It's kind of like the waters that I I swim in. And one of the things that's happening is that they're trying to take the, maybe the narrow mission of the church to make disciples, which we'll talk about more in a second, to, to, to broaden that mission to include everything that call, Christians are called to do in the world, okay? I think there is a broad mission, and I think there's a, there's a narrow mission, okay? And I think the broad mission is for all Christians, 
So when I say that we're, all Christians are called to fulfill the cultural mandate, then all Christians are called to fulfill the cultural mandate in their day-to-day. But that may not be the responsibility of the, the, a, a own, our own particular local church acting as a collective whole. So there's a broad and there's a narrow. I think the broad mission is for all of us individually. So we see things in the, in the scriptures about all of us are called to care for the poor. So Jesus says, when you give to the poor. So all of us individually are called to do that. Now, collectively, if someone came to me and said, Pastor, you would be in sin if you did not have a homeless shelter at your church. Now, we have had homeless shelters at our church. So, so understand the analogy here. But if they mandate it, you are sinning against God, you are not fulfilling God's mission if you do not have a homeless shelter at our church, I would say, well, no, I think you're wrong. We are called. That may be a wise thing to do. That may be right. You know, we may have to judge our own motives, but we wouldn't be, I don't think we'd be in sin if we didn't have a homeless shelter. But I think we would be in sin if we didn't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a difference there. As Christians, we are called to, to do good and, and to love our neighbor. We're called to do that as, even as, as, a, as a body. But specific tasks that, that fill, fulfill the broad mission of the cultural mandate that's pressed upon and forced upon the church confuses the mission of the church. And what I see happening in the Christian world is that confusion, is that people are trying to say the broad mission of the church, being a cultural mandate, loving our neighbor, loving, loving our, our city, doing good, is woven into the very fabric of the essence of the church. And when I think you do that, I think you confuse what we're all about. What is the church all about? We're about the, the gospel of Christ. We're called to fulfill the great commandment, right? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're called to do what? The great commission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that we have commanded. So one of the things that's happening right now in the evangelical world is there are churches hiring um, creation care activists. So people who are hired at a church and their whole job is to help care for creation. That's part of the cultural mandate. We, wanna, we, we, we should care for our world that the Lord God has given us, right? But should that really be someone who's employed and serving at the church? Should the church care about the creation? Absolutely. But we should care more about the pinnacle of creation, which would be the souls of men and women creating the image of God. That's the, the essence, the highlight of creation is man. And we should care about them because they will live eternally. So what I see happening in, in the Christian world, I see a confusion. I see a confusion of the cultural mandate and the mission of the church. Beloved, we can't confuse the two. We have to fulfill both of them. We fulfill this as everyday Christians as we scatter about and we go about our, our, our work and our jobs and our families. And we're all called to do, to do this together as a, as a church, is to preach the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ and Christ alone saves that we are sinners and deserve wrath from a holy God. And because of that, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to live as the true image of God, to die in our place, to be dead and buried, and to be raised from the dead. And we preach repentance and faith in him for forgiveness of, of sins. And if we stop preaching that, we cease having the lampstand of the gospel of Christ. And the Lord removes that from us. And I'm telling you right now, be careful, listen to what's happening in the life of the church because I see this happening more and more and more. So, in conclusion, right, we want to fulfill the cultural mandate. We want to see our jobs are valuable and good as we reflect Christ 
to the world and how we, how we serve and live for him. And yet, at the same time, we as a church have a very specific mission. Our very specific mission is that we want to form people into the image of Christ by helping them bow their knee and bow their hearts in faith to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want them to repent of their sins and trust in Christ because that is the only way we can truly enlarge the kingdom of God is when we plant and we water the seed of the gospel and people come to Christ in faith. We can never lose that, church. Father, we pray that you and your kindness would help us as a church uh, to live out the cultural mandate, uh, and we pray, God, that you would help us be faithful to fulfill the Great Commission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have several things to uh, pray for.